My eyes are full of, I don't know what this morning. I'm having trouble seeing, so bear with me. You know, folks, there's a, a lot of sermon subjects are pretty clear cut. Makes it easy for a preacher to preach. Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> That's one of the Ten Commandments. You know about that. I say thou shalt not steal. God don't want you stealing. So what do you get out of it? You know God doesn't want you to steal. So then you got a choice to make. Am I going to steal or am I not going to steal? What's going to happen if I get in, in a crack? My Bible says that people who steal because they're hungry, God doesn't punish them as strong for that as you would just stealing just to have more. So there's simple things you can preach. But we've been talking about freedom and the freedom that Jesus gives us to be like he wants us to be. That's the purpose for it. Not that we can go out and do what we want to, but we can have no shackles on us to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And it says in our word that those who are spiritual, who understand the work of the Spirit, they know God and they understand God. And that's the goal for each one of us. The more you know about God, the more spiritual you are if you do those things. You can't do for God if you don't know what God wants. So one of the things is educating yourself to what God wants. And then the other thing is to do it. With that being said, we talk a lot around here about being like Jesus. I didn't know as a kid that I could do that. Nobody told me. I thought Jesus was just saying it. Nobody could be like. But in 80 years of being exposed to the word, I found out I can be like Jesus. Not only that, I'm commanded by God to be like his son. He's the firstborn of the church and my oldest brother that's a Christian. And he was sent here to live for me so that I could see how God wants us to live. We live like Jesus. It's a, it's a tremendous study just to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just to look at Jesus and how he reacts to everything. The Old Testament was about thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not kill. Things that were easier to understand. But see, Jesus came along in the New Testament and he says, if you hate your brother, you've killed him already. Jesus took the actions of God's people and added to those actions their thoughts. You can sin by thinking. And he says in Psalms, if you leave a bad thought in your mind, don't pray because I'm not going to hear it. When you've got a bad thought in your mind, you know it's a bad thought. You get it out of there. And I've learned that if I can't get it out of there, I can ask God and he does. You may not realize that you can pray for your brain and tell your brain you don't need that in there. God says you don't. So get it out, Lord. I've been titled this thing to know God and that's what it's all about. Because like I said, you can't choose right or wrong if you don't know what right or wrong is. And you got to know God to know what's right and wrong. But there are things that preachers are called on to preach about and I got one this morning. It's not about stealing something. Daddy told me when I was a little kid, don't pick up a quarter off of somebody's coffee table. They're not going to say anything. They don't want him to make an embarrassing situation. 
But the first time they lose $20, you're going to be the first person they think about. Because when you picked up that, that, little, bitty, that little bitty money, you established yourself as a thief. And they wonder just how much money you're going to get. So you don't pick up the quarter. It's about thought. This thing of living like Jesus is about your thinking. Let this mind be in you, we've said around here a hundred times, that was also in Christ Jesus. So not only have we got to be particular about what we do, we've got to be particular about what we think about. We've got to guard all those thoughts that come in our mind and call the ones out that God doesn't want in there. Because usually an action follows a thought. But there's something we need to understand. We're taught all this stuff. I've been taught stuff by people ever since I've been a little bitty kid in the beginners Sunday school. You were taught stuff, and it stays with you. But it's taught by men and women, and some of them don't have it exactly right. But what you heard sometimes stays there. And until you get a chance to check it out with the Scripture, because Jesus wrote the book, and whatever's in here is truth. If you understand it right. So we look at what we think we know and check it out with the Bible to make sure it's the truth. I've heard people tell me, well, I had a saintly old grandma and she always said so and so. But grandma wasn't inspired and she made mistakes. And you might be thinking about something she said that wasn't biblical at all. So we got to check out stuff that we know, we think we know, to make sure it's right. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at some statements that God put in this book for me and you. It's a little different. It's a little different. And he creates ideas with what he says. He creates what I call mental pictures. I don't know what David looked like when he slew Goliath, the giant, but I got a picture of that in my mind. I got a picture of Jesus. May not look at all like him, but it's what I see when I think about him. And everybody's got that, I think. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Now what does that mean? If he thinks he knows something, he doesn't know what he's supposed to know. So here's the thing. God says in his word, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are as far from your thoughts as heaven is from earth. We got to realize, folks, that when we're dealing with spiritual things, they're above us. They're above us. There's no way that the natural man can understand the things of the spirit unless the spirit teaches it to him. So then, if you have any understanding of the Bible, it's not all about thou shalt not steal. It's about things that are so far above us. It said God's got things for us, waiting for us, that we don't even have a clue about. And there's so much of this book, and you've got to be particular when you read it. God doesn't often give us enough stuff that we're so decided about that we're willing to fight somebody about. So you've always got to be cautious because you're dealing with another man's information, and that's Jesus Christ. 
If any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Okay? So then that gives me an idea that I might not know it all. And here I am supposed to be a preacher. I'm very careful to make sure that what I say here is what God told me to say. Because I'm not going to stick my neck out on my own. I'm not going to. Turn over one page to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 12, he's been explaining something in here, Paul has. And in verse 12, he says, wherefore? In other words, because of what this book says, let him, think it, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Now, what's the guy that falls? Usually the guy that's not being careful. He's not watching where he puts his feet. Take heed. When you think you stand, lest you fall. So you see, these scriptures, these two scriptures, create in me this thing that I better be careful about what I think I know. Because <laughs> I've learned that the next verse I read is liable to change it just a little bit. So you got to be careful. And you got to be a student and you got to learn as you go. Things that I was taught as a child 75 years ago. I read the scripture now and I find out it wasn't true. <laughs> it's a little different. So what I'm trying to say is this. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. There are six things it says in chapter 6 of Proverbs that God hates. Yea, there are seven that are abomination to him. And the first thing on God's hate list is not stealing. It's not dancing or smoking or drinking or all these kind of things that preachers spend all their time with. It's a proud look. It's a proud look. Now who's the guy that falls in a hole? <laughs> the guy that's not looking for a hole. Who's the guy that makes a mistake? A guy that thinks he can't make a mistake. So somebody says, well, I don't understand what God is trying to say. Well, I can say, I, I think I do because I was given the job of standing before y'all trying to explain it to you. God says, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Be careful how you do something now. He talks about being careful with your mouth. Don't offend anybody. Don't blurt something out that would cause somebody not to have any confidence in you and not listen to you about Jesus Christ. Be careful with your feet that you don't fall, that you don't stumble. Be careful with your spiritual life. You're down here on this earth that's owned by Satan. He has developed all the systems in it. And still you serve God. But you need to be careful. You like Daddy said about coming home from seeing Mama in the dark walking through the woods and fell in a hog trap. You need to watch where you put your feet. Spiritually speaking, I'm saying, we need to be careful about what we know, we think we know. In Colossians chapter 2, a verse that got, God gave me right after we started this church, in my living room years ago. A thing that he wanted me to have first in my mind for whatever I had to deal with. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, beware. First word, be careful. <laughs> beware. Lest any man spoil you 
Be careful, lest what you hear may pull you away from God. That some man is telling you pulled you away from God. And you see, Satan's not going to jump out in front of you in his red flannel outfit and his horns and his forked tail like they always draw him. He's not like that. But he's not going to jump out in front of you like that because you'd recognize him immediately and wouldn't do anything he said. He'll always be in a disguise. You're not going to know sometimes that he was even there. If 70% of the people in the United States don't even believe in Satan, he's doing a pretty good job of hiding himself and what all he does. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, being deceiving with you, lying to you, trying to trick you, trying to beat you out of something. After the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world, the rules of the world, and not after Christ. That's been the center of this church since we started it. I've got written by that verse in my Bible in big black bold gel print fin sidetrack. See, if you derail, you know you're derailed. You know you're messing up. But if you get on the wrong track, until you get to your destination, you may not know you're there. So what Satan is trying to do is get you sidetracked, get you off the main thing. And that's what he works to do. Just to twist things just a little bit. This word iniquity comes from the word torque. Same word that torque comes from. You know what torquing is. It's twisting. Twisting strength. It's like a PTO on a tractor. It runs things by spinning. Twisting. And people take the book and they twist the word. They don't erase it. They don't take it out. You'd know it was gone. Something... What they do is explain it just a little bit different to where you're not sure about exactly what it's saying and understand it wrong. Beware lest any man spoil you philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. One of the things it says in our book, a man that teaches you that if you hook up with Jesus, you're going to be rich. Stay away from those guys, it says. Leave them alone. They're telling you a lie. Look over at the 20th verse of Colossians chapter 2. Wherefore, instructions for us, explanations for us, for you and me. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, what does that mean? The world's not important anymore. Because you're with Christ, that means you have to die to the world. The world's not your main deal anymore. Christ is. So that expression means that you give emphasis to Christ instead of to the world. Christ is in first place, then the world comes somewhere after that. If you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, the rules of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, rules? The world has its rules. I can remember when I got out of college, they taught me in college that if I could borrow $30,000 and I didn't have but $10,000 borrowed, then I wasn't operating but at a third of my potential. But all the folks who went bankrupt are the folks who borrowed more than they could pay back. So I had to learn. You don't borrow everything you can. You just do enough to get you along. Touch not, taste not, 
and handle not. Those of the world. Rules that people in the church think they have to listen to. When Jesus came, he was born a Jew. He was raised as a Jew. He lived with Jews in a Jewish community, went to church, the temple, as a Jew. And he was taught all the things that Jewish boys were taught. You don't touch this. You don't handle that. You wash your hands ceremoniously, whether they're dirty or not. You do this, you do that. You do, you do all these things, these rules. And Jesus came in and started breaking the Jews' rules. The things he was raised by. The things he was taught as a little kid. He ate grain in the fields as he was walking through the fields because he was hungry. He sat down and ate meals with sinners, which Jews didn't do. He had things to do with people who weren't nice people. And the Jews didn't have any use for it at all. He broke the rules. And I tell you, there are a lot of rules around that men have put up that you're going to have to break if you're going to please Jesus. They just are. We're a peculiar people. That means when other people look at us, we're different. And God wants us that way. Which are all to perish. All those rules are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Men have slipped in and put all kind of little things in the church that you've got to do. If you're going to call yourself a good Christian. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now that's... It took me a long time to understand that. But what it means is is people who are acting like they are so good that they think they're honoring God by doing that. Oh, I don't do that. Well, why don't you do that? Because I don't think God would like me to do that. Now, there's nothing wrong with not doing things that God doesn't want you to do. But don't try to build a reputation on it. Because you turn people off. If every time they turn around, they're doing something that you say they ought not to do. We call some of those people prudes, religious prudes. Jesus didn't live like that, folks. Jesus walked down the street and talked to the next person he met, and he wasn't better than anybody. And he said he came to save the sick. He didn't come to save the well. Jesus didn't have a proud attitude like so many of the Jews had. They were living by the rules. And Jesus said, God didn't make those rules, so I'm not going to live by them. And he showed the people that they weren't to follow those things. those things that we try to act like we're above other people because we're Christians, because we don't do, those things sometimes can get us in trouble. So what's the word? What do we do? All these denominations take one truth out of Scripture and build a whole group of people that are worshiping this particular way because of one or two rules. And they are pleased that they're not like other people. Oh, oh, we don't do that. And Jesus prayed in the 17th chapter of John right before he went to the cross 
that we would all be like he and the Father were, in agreement with everything. But we have different churches on every corner. They believe differently. And they talk about each other, about how this group over here is not as good as this group because they do this and they do that, and they believe this and they believe that. It has gotten me. There have been things that people believe that will split a church right down the middle. And it's not stealing, because most you, there's stealing all over the church. It's not lying, because lying is all over the church. It's things that we compete with each other with, just like Albert and Alabama. And we get serious about it. Because we think different than other people think. And we want to get competitive about it. And that competitiveness is not supposed to be in the heart of a Christian. That's the natural man's characteristic. Is to put other people down because they don't believe like I do. And sometimes the first word out of our mouth is a word that offends them and they get away from us and so we never have a chance to explain what's going on right. That's what Jesus did. The thing is we just follow Jesus. Just follow him. No big deal. Don't fight. Don't try to defend ourselves. Don't tell somebody you don't believe right. You be patient. We'll get there in just a second. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. Don't go off the, the end with anything. Keep it under control. Schofield says, By creating a reputation for superior sanctity. I like that expression. Superior sanctity. They won't try to make you believe they're more, more, more sanctified than you are, a bigger saint than you are. As some did, they didn't really honor God, but just satisfied the flesh. When they said, I'm a better Christian than you are, exactly what they were saying, it made them feel good, made you feel bad. Didn't honor God either way. <laughs> Look at me, how godly I am. That's the one thing God can't handle. That's the one thing he says we're not to do. John eight thirty three. if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed to serve him. The natural man, the old man, has the characteristics that we're talking about with competition and competing with other churches and with other Christians. To obey God, you live by God's rules, not the ones that men have set up all over and not man's rules. Some people I've found in churches especially like rules. Do what? I'm serious. There are people who want to live by the rules. Because you see, it takes decision making away from them. God says in Deuteronomy, I'm putting before you a choice, a curse or a blessing. And you can choose. You can either choose to have a curse or you can choose to be blessed by what you do. So you choose. So we're constantly then in a place to where we have to choose. We have to make a lot of decisions. And a lot of people think that's too much trouble. There are church rules around that people hold to without thinking about them. They've been taught them, just like Jesus was taught to be a Jew, and the first thing he did was start breaking the Jew rules.
I have learned that I was taught once saved, always saved in the Baptist church. And there's a whole characteristic of apostasy in the last three or four books of the Bible where it talks about people who are supposed to be saved are leaving the faith. The Pentecostal folks, a lot of them believe that God does not want you sick and they teach it in their churches. Paul was sick. He was blind. He couldn't see. And he went to God three times and asked him to heal him from that sickness. And God says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave it with you because what I've got to show you and teach you is going to make you all puffed up and proud and you're not going to be able to minister. So I'm going to leave you with your bad eyes. God did want him sick too. And it says over in fifth chapter of James that God gives us sickness because of our sin. The twelfth chapter of Hebrews, he gives us sickness to chastise us for the things that we're doing wrong you know how many times you've gotten sick and it turned you away from some of the things you were doing because you realized that God didn't, didn't like what you were doing and you didn't see that until you got sick. The Catholics, I've learned because I've had the opportunity to witness to several Catholics that were saved And every one of them to this day believes that when they were baptized at eight days, they're born again. They're saved the rest of their life. They believe that. I was raised in a Baptist church. They always talk about the Catholic, how they're crazy to believe that stuff. It's not in the book. But like I say, there's also apostasy in the book that the Baptists don't back up. So what I'm trying to say is this. Different groups of people decide on different things they're going to believe that other so-called Christians do believe or vice versa. We've split ourselves up and I don't think it pleases God at all because there's scriptures here that say one thing but we take it and change it and we believe it. And so we can't socialize with other folks who believe so much different than we do. When we defend ourselves and our beliefs, we compete, essentially, in the flesh. We've got an account in John chapter 3 of when Nicodemus a rich young ruler, it said, came to Jesus and asked him, what do I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. He no sooner got that word out of his mouth, born again, then the guy starts arguing. Wait a minute now, how can I get back in my mother's tummy and be born again? And he, he throws this whole deal out there, argument about what Jesus Christ the Savior of the world has just told I mean, he's already said, we know you're a son of God because of the things you do. And as soon as Jesus started explaining it to him, he starts arguing. We saw another place where the rich young ruler came to came to. Uh, or the rich man, the young man who was rich, came to him and asked him the same question. The first guy, it said, walked off. Jesus didn't chase him down and say, well, well, wait a minute now, maybe I haven't explained this to you good enough. There's something you need to... No, Jesus didn't do that. He said, you must be born again, and he explained it. And the guy walked off. Then this other man came to him and asked him the same question. And he decided that the other guy was a wealthy guy. This guy was wealthy, and he loved his money. 
And he told him, he said, well, you know, you've got some attachments here. What you need to do if you want to be saved is give all your money away to the poor. And it said the guy left sorrowful. God didn't accept salvation. Why? Because he'd have to give away his money. See, the thing is, Jesus had a way to get out of this world alive. A way to live for eternity with him and God. And he gave it to people. And the people turned it down, a lot of them did, and argued with him about it. We're, set, we're told, and I've said it from this pulpit, we have a job here. We were created to do good works. God's in the people business. Our good works is with people. We do things for God down here. We are the hands and the feet and the mouth for God. And the way we please Him is by doing things for other people. He plainly talked to us about the needy and the people who are weak. We need to be doing something to help them. That is our job description. And anything we do that keeps us from being what God wants us to do is a sin. It says in 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 6, verse 3, that we are not to offend anybody in anything unless the whole ministry be blamed. You think, but wait a minute. I mean, God explains us so well. Well, I don't go to that church down there because you know so and so's a big man in that church. And let me tell you what he did. We've all heard that. We have. We offend for ourselves, maybe to make money, maybe to make us feel better, maybe because of our pride. And it causes other people not to follow Christ because of it. We've got to be so careful in what we believe and what we teach and the way we act to other people that don't really have a clear understanding of just what salvation is and what Jesus is right now. The thing that amazes me, Jesus didn't go after. I've had people tell me, well, you need to go over here and you need to do this. You need to go see that fellow. You need to go down on the beach and give away track. You need to do all these kind of things. But God said, if you don't want to do dead work, you need to wait till I tell you to talk to somebody. And I think there's a clue here It's in John chapter 2. It says in John chapter 2 in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover celebration in the day of feast. Many believed in his name. Many people believed Jesus. when they saw the miracles which he did. That impressed them. He's in the middle of a big religious feast. Everybody's thinking about religious things. And when Jesus told them about salvation, 
and the church, they believed him. That word is P-I-S-T-I-S, a Greek word. Verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. That's the same word, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. They believed on him, but he didn't believe in them. Why? Because he knew all men. That's what it says, right there. Because he knew all men. It says, and needed not that any should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. They believed in Jesus, it said, but he didn't believe in them. Why? Because he knew them. And he knew that when it come down to it, they really didn't believe in him. The thing is, it explains right there, for he knew what was in man. I can recall a friend of mine told me when I needed somebody to work for me at the barn, I got a guy that'd be perfect for you. I said, well, bring him by. I need somebody bad. And he brought this guy by. He was rough. He was rough. He had all the marks of rough people on him. And he had a ponytail down halfway of his back. That bothers cowboys. I mean, I can't help it. It just bothers cowboys. <laughs> if you're not a girl. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I'm standing in the yard interviewing him with his friend there that brought him. And God says, tell him about me. Tell him about Jesus. And I said to myself, while I'm talking to him, in my mind, I said to God, but Lord, I don't know him. And he looks rough. I know rough people. I've been raised with rough people. I know what they look like. I know how they act. And I've already heard about this boy right here. He'd fight a tiger. He didn't matter. He wasn't scared of nothing. And God says, tell him about me. I said, Lord, my second thing, first was, Lord, this guy's rough. Second thing I said was, Lord, I hadn't known him about four minutes now. I mean, you know, give me a chance to, to, to know him a little bit, and then I'll tell him about Jesus. Tell him about me now. Tell him about me now. I said, so-and-so, could you come in my office a minute? He said, yeah. I told his friend, I said, we'll be back in just a minute. He went in the office with me, and I explained the plan of salvation to this, this young'un, and he accepted it. Lock, stock, and barrel. The least likely person I would think would have anything to do with Jesus, and he did. I had no idea God was working with a young'un, he didn't look like to me God had been working for him. He didn't look like he'd be a person that God would want to work for. But see, Jesus hung out with some of those too. This young man had never been in Sunday school. He'd never been in church. He'd never read one word out of a Bible. He told me he didn't have a conscience because he didn't feel bad about any bad thing he'd ever done. And he probably taught me more about Christianity than anybody ever has because he had no clue what was going on. And when he, the Satan would tempt him to do something bad, he'd come running to me and said, something's bad wrong inside of me. I said, what do you mean? He said, this is what happened to me and this is what I used to do and I can't do that no more. I said, that's the Holy Spirit of God working in you, boy. He's keeping you straight. But I thought he thought he was crazy. See, most of us, 
are so conditioned in church that we don't let each other know what's going on inside of us. We know how to cover it up and appear like we're really nice people. And we never have a thought like that. He was just openly and honest about all of it. Jesus knew when he talked to the guys, Nicodemus and the other guy, the rich young ruler, that they weren't ready, that God hadn't been dealing with them. See, I don't have that advantage. I didn't know this guy right here didn't look to me like God never even said two words to him. But like Paul on the road, everybody was scared to death. All the Christians were scared to death of Paul. Why? Because he persecuted Christians. And when Jesus knocked him down on the road and he said, Master, what must I do? He knew exactly who he was talking to. Why? Because Jesus had been poking him with a sharp stick, he said. It's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? Jesus had been trying to get him where he wanted him so he could get him saved. And the Holy Spirit God had sent the Holy Spirit to this young man and had been working with him. He sure didn't look like it to me. Later he had a family. Judy went to town and found in a thrift store a set of encyclopedias on the Bible. That guy said the only time he was ever in school was just during football season and as soon as football season was over... He'd quit school. But he'd sit and read to his little kids the stuff out of those books about the Bible. <laughs> and he'd never even heard of Moses when he came and walked up that barn that day. And he made a good hand. He made a good hand. He was killed a little bit later. A fellow shot him with a 30-30 right between the eyes at his 10-year-old girl daughter's birthday party. So see, we don't know. So what I'm trying to say, it's not enough not to steal or let somebody see you stealing. You got to have thoughts that don't lead you astray. There are some folks that can look at you and see your expression to tell pretty much what you're thinking. And you're a, a witness to them. So, the point of this day and this message, we got to be more than just what we do. We got to be more than allowing our minds to think about bad things in a way that other people might notice it. And a lot of times it comes out of our mouth what our thoughts are. And we got to be careful about that too. I said the other night, as we were burying Kevin, when Kevin found out Jesus was the main thing, he made Jesus the main thing. He came here and he ministered to us, sitting right there talking about the man, the ministry, man of ministries and all. He came in a church and made us feel spiritual. Because he believed, like I do, that Jesus is the main thing. And folks, let me tell you something. That's what we all got to think. Let no man spoil you with all this philosophy and vain deceit and the rules of the world. Bring, people are bringing the world into the church and they've got everything the world gives you in a church house and they've got buildings out there for 15 acres trying to build the world in the church. The church is about Jesus and that's it. And he did, it doesn't take very much room for him to stand right there in the middle, right in the front for everybody. 
And you know it pleased me the other night that Sam said, well, Mr. Joe just said that the main thing is Jesus, and that's all I know to say. Because you know why? That's what it is. With all this other stuff, it's still about Jesus. And if I don't keep him right here in the front, somebody needs to stand up and chew me out. Because whatever else is out there in the form of religion, it's still all about Jesus. And there are places you can go today called churches, and it's hard to find Jesus unless there's a picture of a man that don't look like Jesus down in the, in the little kid's room. And they think it's Jesus. He got hair down to here. Jesus didn't have hair down to here. He had it cut off like every other Jew had it. He was an Orthodox Jew. So what I'm trying to say, folks, don't be miserable by all of this other stuff. The thing we've all got to remember, it's about doing what Jesus wants us to do. It's about living like Jesus. It's about dressing like Jesus, living like Jesus. Whatever Jesus said we need to do, that's what we need to do. And it's pretty simple. It's not complicated. You can read the four Gospels and see how he answered people. He never chewed anybody out. He never argued with anybody. He never slapped anybody upside the head because they didn't believe him. After all the trouble he went through, he just quiet and explained it and was gentle and meek to people because he wanted them to understand what the whole plan was about. And that's what we need to be. That's what we need to do. And that's what other people need to see in us. Let's pray. Father, make us understand what we're supposed to think because if we think right, we'll do right. It's not just about doing right. It's about thinking right in a way that other people might be improved by watching us and then giving Jesus the credit for everything, everything, and not trying to bring attention on ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.